Tonight we want to continue in this chapter, and we want to look at how God is bigger than traditions. Hebrews 11, God is bigger than traditions. And I want to begin reading with verse number, let's start with verse number 17. Hebrews 11, by faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it is said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure or in a type. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worship leaning upon the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child. and They were not afraid of the king's commandment. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, we commence a new year and we are grateful that you have brought us safely through another one. And so we have no idea what's up ahead, but we do know you'll be with us as we walk with you and trust you. So tonight as we break the bread of life, oh God, speak to all of our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a wonderful book. We're enjoying it. Looking at what we have in this regarding faith in chapter 11. We've told you before, this book is a book about better things. Jesus is a better priest. We have a better covenant. Jesus is a better sacrifice. We started in with chapter 11, and we began to learn essentially what faith is. That faith is represented by how people live their lives. It's not simply what we say, but it's manifested by what we do. You know what you believe by how you live. Everyone lives in accordance with their faith. Even if you say a person is a hypocrite, they're still living their life in accordance with their faith. They believe it's okay to say one thing with their mouth and do something different with their lifestyle. But in chapter 11, we, we, we started in looking at how these things that we can see were created by the word of God. We learned that Abel and Enoch and Noah, that they were examples of faith because they adhered to the things that God told them to do. And then we started in on this man by the name of Abraham, and we're going to continue with him even right now. It tells us this man had one son, and it uses the phrase in the KJV, only begotten son, very much like God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What makes this interesting is that Abraham was the one God divinely chose to give promises and the only way these promises can come to pass, God has to give this man a family. He didn't have any children. He and his wife wanted children. And God had told him to look up into the sky, and he did. And then the Lord said, your seed will be like the stars of the earth. And that's a pretty big statement to make to a man that doesn't even have one child. And Abraham was fully prepared to leave all of his inheritance to his servant, Eliezer. But that wasn't the plan of God. God had determined that this man, even in his old age, near 100, was going to become a father. 
and that through that seed, the blessing would come to all the generations that come forth from uh, Isaac's loins. Now, Abraham did have another son by the name of Ishmael, but rather than use Ishmael, who was the firstborn coming through Hagar, God gave the promise and the blessing to Isaac. Now, that's important. Because according to the Old Testament teaching, especially when we get over into the Mosaic law, it teaches that the firstborn receives the greater portion or share of the inheritance. So God didn't do it that way. That was the tradition of the times. That was the tradition of the patriarchs. But God chose to bring that seed not through the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, but through Sarah, the one that he had been married to rather than through the concubine. So here's the thing. If you have faith, as Abraham had, then you can expect that your faith is going to be put on trial. If you say you believe in God, then expect your faith to be put on trial. The scripture says, don't be surprised concerning the trial of your faith. It's much more precious to God and you than gold. What do you do with gold? You take gold, you put it in the fire. What happens in the, the fire? Well, it's the fire, when it's applied to that gold, there are going to be portions of it that fall off the dross and everything like that. And it's the same thing with you. Your faith is going to be manifested to you in the midst of a fiery trial. We all hold opinions of ourselves that are different than the kind of opinion that the Lord holds of us. You might think you're weaker than you actually are. You find out in the midst of some tests and trials you're stronger than you really believe. You may think you have faith and you're strong. Then find out there's some trials that lead you to believe I'm just not as strong as I thought I was. But in either, in either case, the scripture is very plain. If you have faith, you've got to be willing to deal with the trials that come to that. The scripture says of Joseph in the Psalm that the Lord or the word of the Lord tried Joseph. If you believe you have a promise from God, then expect you expect yourself to be tried by the fact that you believe in the promise. That's what this is saying. So his trial was that he had to offer up his, his son. Now this, this must be a very difficult thing. I can't imagine most parents uh, wanting to, to kill their own seed or their own child, except for those few occasions when mom and dad are mad at the kids. You know, they're cutting up and they get upset. But, but in, this, in this instance here, Abraham had to make a decision. The Lord said to him, the seed that you have, the seed through whom the promise is going to come, I want you to cut off that line right now and bring Isaac and offer him to me. And Abraham was so faithful, so diligent. Scripture says, according to verse 19, he believed that God would raise him from the dead. So in his mind, even if I go up there and obey God, in my obedience to God, God's going to give him back to me. So don't think for any don't think for one second that, that in Abraham's mind, he's just going to go up here on this mountain and kill his son like some heathen person. In Abraham's mind, he knew that if this is what God required, God was going to give him back because there's no way the promise can be fulfilled unless that boy is alive. Now that's faith. To realize that what is so precious to you and what means the most to you that you can in turn give it to God and take your hands off and say, Lord, this one, this thing, this person belongs to you. Yeah, and just be willing to walk away. And that, that, that shows that you, you trust the king. So 
having received the promises, he marches up the top of the hill. No, that's not in verse 17. It's in the story of Genesis. He goes to the top of the hill. And you remember Isaac was carrying the wood on his back and, and Isaac uh, was carrying the instrument of his death because they're going to go up there and they're going to make a altar, according to Genesis. And when they get to the top, uh, Isaac says, Dad, now we've done this before. You've offered sacrifices to God. Now, I'm looking around here. I don't see any animal for you to sacrifice. You know what Abraham said to his son? God shall prepare himself a lamb. Now, you lay down. Oh, my. <laughs> you say, God's going to prepare himself a lamb, and you want me to lay down there? After I help put this thing together and help you build it? And Isaac, being the kind of son that he was, dutiful, Obedient, faithful, as a type of Jesus, as the scripture says, receiving him in a figure. Abraham did not have to chase Isaac around the top of that hill. Isaac laid down on that altar, fully prepared that I trust my father. See, there's your image and your picture of Christ, who went to Calvary knowing that his father was going to raise him from the dead. Who went to Calvary knowing that even though he's going to lay down in death, he's going to get up again. And I'm sure that Abraham told his son and was trying to comfort him and let him know, son, I give you my word. I will not leave the top of this hill without you. I'll die up here on this hill if I have to, but there's no way on this earth I'm leaving the top of this hill without you. God's going to raise you up. And can you imagine him laying there on that altar and then Abraham taking that knife and lifting his hand, literally going to take the life of his own seed. And then the angel of the Lord shouts out and said, Abraham, you don't have to do that. Now I know you love me more than you love your son. Yeah. Now, if you would have told Abraham that he loved his son more than God, maybe he would have agreed with you. Maybe not. But there may be things in our life that we love so much and you never really know how much you love until someone asks you to relinquish it. Yeah. I've seen children, and I was like this myself when I was a kid, if I had some toys that I wasn't playing with at the time, if I saw one of my cousins or somebody grab it, then I wanted to play with it. Mm -hmm. and, and I was not too keen on listening to my mom and dad and my older brothers tell me that I need to let my cousin Randy have that toy. I said, it's my toy. And if Randy wants a toy, Randy's parents ought to buy him a toy. Why does he get to have mine? See, that's, that, that, that's this, this possessive attitude that we have. And when there are things in our life that mean a, mean a whole lot to us, it's very difficult for us to give it up when God says to us, let it go. Let him go. Let her go. It's hard. Nevertheless, uh, that word does come sometimes. It does come. Now, verse 18, it said that in Isaac shall your, shall your seed be called. So the, the promises of God were bound up inside of Isaac. Isaac was the next generation. His seed was the future generation. And, and Abraham can look at Isaac and he can see the stars in this boy. And, and that's, that's faith. To, to be able to envision the future in people that you see. That is as sure as I am looking at you right now, 
that 30 or 40 years from now, if the Lord hadn't returned and I'm still here, there'll be different faces that I'll be looking at. See, this is, this is what I'm saying. This man, verse 19, says God's able to raise him up. So it's not a matter of God's ability. We know that he has the ability. This man says that I am trusting and believing God to do this. Now, notice verse 20 there. Because <clears throat> we're still working on how God's bigger than tradition. God skipped over the whole Ishmael thing and gave it to Isaac. The tradition would have meant it goes to Ishmael, but the promise of God says it's going through Isaac. So God can choose any way that he wants. In verse 20, it says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. So Isaac's wife Rebekah had twins. Esau was the firstborn. Esau was the one that Isaac was determined to bless and give the greater share of the inheritance to. But Rebekah had another plan. Rebekah's plan was to make sure Jacob received it. And you know the story from Genesis. Isaac told Esau, I want you to make me some of that good food that you normally make for me. So go out and go hunting. Bring me back some of that venison that makes my soul happy. And so that's exactly what Esau did. But uh, Mama Rebecca had another plan. And her plan was to make sure Jacob received the blessing. So she went and, and made sure that they got an animal and dressed it all up and took some of the hair from the animal and kind of patted down his arms and stuff like that. And, and Isaac was older now, and he had lost his eyesight, so he couldn't see. So when, when Jacob came in, then he, Isaac was dependent upon the sense of touch to determine which son it was. So he reached out and, and grabbed him, and, and to him, I mean, because Esau must have been a fairly hairy individual, to Isaac, he thought, this is Esau. But when, when he heard the voice, he said, the body is that of Esau, but the voice is that of Jacob. And Isaac conferred the blessing through Jacob's deception upon Jacob. And when the prayer was done, Jacob departed from the presence of the Lord. Esau came in and was happy. He had made the meal dad want. And then that's when Isaac realized, I've given the blessing to someone else. So that, that shows you that you, you can't give a prayer or a blessing and then take it back. Okay. Once you bless somebody, they're blessed. Once you release your words, they're released. You can't turn around and say, Lord, uh, I'm an Indian giver right now. I need to give this to the other one. It didn't, didn't work like that at all. Well, this was an act of deception from Rebecca and Jacob. However, this was still the plan of God. He said, how is that? Because when Rebecca was pregnant, you remember the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. So God considers babies to be representatives of future generations. God doesn't just see the baby just as one. He sees the baby as the procreator of the next generation and of the next generation. He said, Rebecca, two seeds or two nations are in you. And he said, the, the elder shall serve the younger. So even though Rebecca and, and Jacob are working out this aspect of what is deceptive to Isaac, it's still the fulfillment of prophecy because the tradition says the firstborn receives it. But God had already prophesied that the elders want to serve the younger. 
So sometimes God steps outside of the bounds of our box, and he does what he wants to do. And if you have God in a box tonight with respect to what do you think he's able to do for your life, then you need to, you need to blow the box up because God is bigger than any tradition. He's bigger than anything you can conceive, and he can do whatever he wants to do, and he doesn't owe anybody an explanation. The only thing we can do is simply explain the story and tell people what happened, but he's the one that determines why it happens, how it happens, who it happens to. Mm -hmm. So look again at verse number 20. Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. You ever wonder why it is that certain blessings have come to you and not to other people? And other people may have been worthier or other people should have been in line for the job, or other people may have actually been um, more qualified, but yet the blessing came to you. Because it doesn't have anything to do with tradition, it has everything to do with God's favor and the one that God chooses. I've met many people in my life that, that certainly are, are certainly more uh, talented and, and suited for certain positions and certain things that, that, that could be done in life, but yet it's given to somebody else, and the person it's given to may not have been as talented, may not have been uh, suited for the job at the particular time, but yet it still turned out right, and God blessed them and prospered them. Because it doesn't have anything to do with how we choose and how we look at things. It has everything to do with what is God's plan for this person. And, and we're so narrow in the way we look at things, we can only see the fact that, like, Ishmael and like Esau, my feelings are hurt. I was deserving of it. Well, maybe you weren't. Maybe somebody else was. Now, that's not to say that God doesn't have anything for you, because if you read the, the story of Ishmael, Ishmael, he ended up with a very big blessing. The angel of the Lord helped him and his mom when they were out there in the desert. And, and also Esau, he, he ended up with a very nice blessing also. And his seed grew strong in the earth. But as a Christian, don't ever covet or crave someone else's blessing because God has something specifically tailored for your life. Yeah. You don't have to be jealous of anybody. Just walk with God, trust him, and just believe that every day what you need, God will provide for you. That's, that's the key. Look at verse 22. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying blessed both the sons of Joseph. Now, we, we, we keep running into this. Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Now Jacob is going to bless his sons. You can see a pattern that's beginning, and that is before people die, they want to pray over their children and their grandchildren. And I hope this is a pattern you establish too, where you say to your kids or grandkids or God children or family members or somebody, let me pray with you. Yeah. Pray a blessing over them. Don't pray anything bad. Pray a blessing. Release a blessing upon them and just say, I'm believing that as I depart from this world, God is going to make you fruitful. He's going to release in you all kinds of gifts and talents and abilities. We're believing. I'm praying that God will cause your life to be overtaken by more blessing and abundance than you've ever seen in your life, and bless them that way. Yeah, you know, hold, hold the, the grandkids in, in your arms and, and bless them and pray over them. Now, a lot of times, 
what I've done with uh, kids in the church when they were infants, in praise and worship time, sometimes I'll grab the kids and I'll hold them when I'm walking around doing praise and worship and people are singing and stuff, and, and I'm praying over the kids. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, this little kid, protect this child, oh God, and I'm naming all kinds of things. Let this child be blessed every area of their life. That's a good way to pray. And sometimes when I've had people, we've been traveling or something, and they just bring their little kids up to us and just ask us to just lay hands on them and bless them and pray for them. And we do it. Just lay our hands on the kids and bless them the same way Jacob blessed his own children because that, that is the right way to do it. So it says here, this man was dying, but yet in his heart, he's still thinking about blessing people. Now, how old was he? He was at least 137. Because when he stood before Pharaoh, Pharaoh asked him how old he was, and Jacob said, the years of my pilgrimage have been 137 years. Yeah, that's a lot of years going by. He, he's seen a lot of sunrises and sunsets. Yeah, that's, that's this man here. But verse 22 then says, by faith Joseph, when he died, he made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. How did Joseph know that the children of Israel would one day leave Egypt? He knew it because in Genesis 15, God told Abraham, this man's great-grandfather, that Abraham's seed was going to go down into Egypt and be there 400 years, and in the fourth generation they would come out. Now this was before Abraham had any kids. How's my seed going to go down there into Egypt all this time and I don't have anybody right now but me and Sarah? This was the prophecy. So Joseph is telling his own children, great-grandfather's prophecy is going to come to pass. I believe what, what has been told to me. And so it's going to happen. Now, there in verse 21, there's an interesting little sentence there, the second sentence. It says, when he was dying, he blessed both the sons of Joseph. Joseph's wife was a lady named Asenath, who was Egyptian. She was the daughter of a priest. With Joseph, they had two children, Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh was the oldest. In Genesis 48, when Jacob said, everybody, bring their kids to me, Joseph brought Manasseh and Ephraim. Because he knew that daddy was getting ready to lay hands on him and confer the blessing. So in Genesis 48, verse 17, it says that Joseph strategically positioned the kids so that Manasseh would be by Jacob's right hand, because he's the oldest, and Ephraim would be by his left hand, because he's the younger. And when Jacob saw what had taken place, Jacob switched his hands and laid hands on them and began to bless them. And when Joseph saw what daddy was doing by giving the blessing to the younger rather than to the older, he tried to lift daddy's hand up and said, you can't do that. You know the tradition, the firstborn gets it. And Jacob said, I know, but this is God's plan. So he switched his hands and he prayed. Well, well, the thing is, as I said before, you can have a tradition that is firmly established in a family and in a culture, and then God just steps right over the tradition because he has another plan. And that's what happened in the case with Isaac and his 
children. And here in the case with Jacob and his grandchildren, as it certainly was the case with Abraham and his boys. So God, God's a big God. Don't, don't ever, don't ever believe it just has to work out the way I thought it was going to work out. May not. God may switch his hand. And you may think the blessing's coming to you, and God switches his hand. And you think the blessing is going to somebody else, and God's hands are like this in the spirit, and you don't even know it until years later when you can see, oh, now I know why God did that. All this time I thought I was the one, or she was the one, or they were the ones that were going to be used. And the whole, the God's plan the whole time was to use the other one. You don't know till later, you see. So verse, verse 22, when Joseph told them to carry my bones up out of Egypt, he saw the future. He said, I know you folks are leaving here. Do not leave my remains down here. Now the last couple of verses of Genesis 50 tell us that when Joseph died in Egypt, they embalmed him. And we know folks have been embalming people for a long time. And the scripture says they put him in a coffin. So they gave him the traditional Egyptian burial. And if you've ever seen some of these archaeologists, when they pull some of these people out of the ground, some of these folks that are wrapped up in all that mummy stuff, then you understand, they, they put all these oils on them, and then they wrap them up in all of this stuff, and then they take the innards, and very often they put them in a clay jar, and they put that in there. But, but by the time 2,500 years, 3,500 years have gone by, and then they open that thing up, they're still able to get a fairly good image or picture of what that person must look like, because, I mean, they wrapped so tight with all them different oils that the hairs are still there. They can see what color their hairs were and everything. So imagine Joseph getting this treatment and him being carried up out of there after about three or 400 years, which is what happened. The Lord told Abraham, 400 years, your seed's going to be afflicted down there in Egypt. And they certainly did come out in the great exodus. And it's a good thing that verse 23 tells us how that coming out took place. I love this story with Moses. When Moses was born, it was during a time when the children of Israel had been multiplying exceedingly in Egypt. Let's not forget, as long as Joseph was alive, the Israelites had favor with Pharaoh. They treated them very nice. They lived in the land of Goshen. The hand of the Lord was upon them. But there arose a Pharaoh who didn't know Joseph. That's not to say didn't know his name or didn't know his story. That is to say he didn't regard Joseph. He didn't care. He didn't care anything about this Hebrew boy. What is him and a bunch of sheep herders have to do with, with us out here. I don't want them here. So Pharaoh's attitude was, if we continue to allow them to occupy Goshen and allow them to multiply as rapidly as they're multiplying, they'll one day rise up and side with our enemies when our enemies fight against us. We can't have that. because they, they, They're Hebrews. And they probably aren't expecting to be here long. They all believe they're getting out of here anyhow. So they definitely don't have any kind of patriotic spirit. And so he, he said to the Hebrew midwives, he said, look, whenever a Hebrew couple is about to have a baby and you notice that there's a male child being born, told the Hebrew midwives, 
you kill that boy. Kill him. Don't ask anybody. Just kill him. But the scripture says of the Hebrew midwives, they feared God more than the king's commandment. Oh, that's beautiful. More than the king's commandment. Can, can you imagine being a midwife? And, and your, your, your role is to help bring life into the world, not to take it. Just like the doctor that takes the, uh, what they call it, the Hippocratic Oath, where you're supposed to save life. Who, who in the world wants to, to take a Hippocratic Oath to save life and then just start killing people? That seems uh, hypocritical to me. Okay. So here these midwives are. And they, they, they pledged to help these women have these children. And now they've got this commandment in their ear that says, if there's a boy born, kill him. Parents can't do anything to stop it. And, and that's what you're supposed to do. But they refused to do it. And, and praise the Lord, when they asked the, the, the midwives, how come you haven't been killing these male babies? They said, well, these Hebrew women, they aren't like the Egyptian women. Once they go into labor, by the time they call for us and we make the trip to the house, the baby's born. So what can we do? We can't even, we can't do anything about it. So Pharaoh said, oh, is that right? And so then he, he said, okay, first a commandment I gave didn't work. We'll start another one now. And he said to all of the people, all the people, Israelites, he said, when there's a male child born, you take that male to the Nile River and you drown that baby in that Nile River. We said, now, that was the word that had been given when verse 23 starts working out. By faith, when Moses was born, his parents hid him. They saw this was going to be a fine child. There was something special about him. Now, what parent doesn't think that about their kid? Okay? This was a proper child, a special child. Now, I, I, I can't... Um, hard to reconcile... Some of these things, such as, I mean, why would any parent even go through with drowning their own son in the Nile River? You know, just, just why? I, I don't know. However, I do know this. You have a mother and a father here that has made the decision, this boy is going to live. That's faith in God. Despite what the politicians and the government has said, Despite the fact that the soldiers from the palace can come to us, we're holding on to this one. And can you imagine you're holding on to a baby that's an infant and other people's houses every night. You can hear the wailing and the screaming going on because people have lost a child and may very well have been the ones to take the child's life themselves. And here you're doing everything you can to keep the sound of the baby's cries muffled. so Nobody hears what's going on. Three months they did it. Ninety days. What baby, what baby have you ever seen that went ninety days and didn't cry? I hadn't seen any. Yeah. But but they hid Moses, but I like the sentence there in verse 23. They were not afraid of the king's commandment. And this is what faith is. Faith is something that, that casts out fear. Because I believe what I'm doing is right. And had this mother and father not done this, God certainly could have did it through other means, but 
This boy is going to be the deliverer who's going to save the entire nation of Israel in the Exodus. This is the man that's going to be the instrument in the fulfillment of Abraham's prophecy. In the fourth generation, your seed is coming out. You never know what God is doing with somebody when the Lord is working to try to maneuver people in the position. The thing other people want to see destroyed is the thing that other people will try to protect. You probably all heard of Corey Ten Boom. Seen the movie, The Hiding Place, or read the book. That's a classic. Think of her and her father. Father, I think he was a watchmaker or seller or something like that. And here you've got all of these people running around here trying to find as many Jewish people as they can during the beginning stages of the Holocaust to take their lives. But uh, they determined that they would hide these folks in an attic somewhere. They're not the, she's not the only family that did that. I've read a lot of stories. I've seen a lot of documentaries of people that hid and protected and kept Jewish people alive. But sometimes even when the government authority makes a statement that is downright ungodly, especially when it comes to taking somebody's life, then somebody else has to, to be a little bit more sensible about this. And so we, we believe in God. And this certainly is not God for us to be marching out there and putting this baby into the river. So we're just not going to do that. And that's what this mom and dad did. And you think of the courage and the faith that you have. It comes to your own family. The, the things you would do. Mothers and fathers would get out there and fight a polar bear or a wild lion or a grizzly bear if they had to to protect their kids. Yeah. A lot of times it doesn't have anything to do with... Uh, just the emotion of it all is just that instinct kicks in to preserve, to protect. And this mom and dad had such faith in God that they determined that they were going to trust and believe the, the king. Now let's, let's go over to Exodus now and let's look at something else. Exodus chapter 1, second book of the Bible. Exodus. Chapter 1, and you can see in verse number 16, here is where the king of Egypt is telling them when you perform the functions of a midwife, if there's a son, kill him. If there's a daughter, let her live. You just need to see that for yourself. That's actually... A word that came from the king. Verse 17, but the midwives feared God. Now that's a sermon in itself. The midwives feared God and did not as the king commanded them, but saved the men children alive. So they realized our role is to be that of a savior, not that of a destroyer. And of course, you can see later in verse 22, the Pharaoh told all the people, every son that's born you cast into the river and every daughter you save. So that, that's terrible, absolutely terrible. So Moses is born, as I have been telling you. So notice it says in verse 2, they hid him three months, but when it got to where you couldn't, just, just look, I mean, just uh, little Michael Curry just won't stop crying. Okay, so in verse 3, 
when she could no longer hide him, she made an ark, small little vessel of uh, bulrushes made of these reeds that grow along the, the banks of the river there. And she, she daubed it with like some pitch or some mud, something to try to make sure that it would be water resistant. And then she put the child inside of it and laid it in the flags. That's the tall stalks that are there in the, uh, in the, the Nile River. That's, that's to make sure that since the child is in that ark, those, those tall stalks are going to keep the child from just floating down the river. Maybe kind of hold the child in one spot. And Moses' sister Miriam, being a little bit older, she stood afar off because she wanted to know what in the world is going to happen to little brother. Can you imagine this scene? Oh, my. She was only about, I don't know, three or four years older than Moses. Just little girls running up and down the bank trying to see what's going to happen to her, her brother. Mama leaves, and she kind of blends into the shadows because little sister is looking to see what in the world's going to take place. And verse 5 says, the daughter of Pharaoh came to wash herself. So mom was smart. She made sure she put this baby somewhere where the baby could be detected by the right person. Or put the baby in a place where if he's not going to be detected, maybe she can come back and look after him. But in either case, the little baby would still be in one spot. And as she was there taking care of herself, the maidens that walked along the riverside saw the ark. She sent her maid to fetch it. They opened it and saw the child. And behold, the baby cried. And she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. You cannot tell me this is a coincidence. Pharaoh's daughter comes down there. She looks and immediately is taken with this wonderful child. Now that's usually how things happen. Now you can look upon a lot of different kids, but it's that one that attracts you. Now it's, been a lot, it's been a few years, but I used to know a a lady in one of the towns here who came out here on the orphan train. And I don't think until she was telling me about it, I'd even heard of such a thing. But she was telling the story of how uh, as a little girl, she came out here, she was on that train, and them trains just coming to these small towns, and then a lot of these family people, they just come up there and look, and they just be looking at all the kids, and then they say, I want that one. And then that one would just just get off the train, and that one belonged to the family. I don't know what everybody wanted them for. Maybe some people wanted extra hands on the farm. Maybe somebody actually wanted some kids. Who, who knows? Everybody had different, different reasons. But, but nevertheless, there had to be something in the one they saw that led them to say, I want that one. Yeah. One time, Tiffany and I were at a uh, black history program in Hastings where I, I was on the program. And the lady was, a, I think, a former school superintendent in Omaha. Might have been the first black school superintendent Omaha has ever had. And she was telling about how she was raised out in Colorado. She was an orphan. That's how she ended up out there. And she was older at the time. And you, you, you think of stories like this, and then you wonder, what are the chances that one child amongst thousands of children, conservatively hundreds of children, Certainly there's more than that. But thousands of children being born. This one child you're going to put right here in this certain area along the, the Nile River. And then here comes Pharaoh's daughter with all of her attending servants. And she 
is prepared to wash herself. She's walking around it, and suddenly they see the baby over there. The baby's probably crying and everything. They look in there, and suddenly it's like, oh, my, I want this baby. Because remember what the king's commandment is. Kill the boy, the male children. So she's got to go against daddy's commandment in order to hold on to Moses. And the scripture says in verse 7 that they said, uh, then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, do you want me to go and call a nurse of the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child? And Pharaoh's daughter said, go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. So here is the mother who, like Isaac, is willing to relinquish what she loves so much only to receive again the child she loves so much. Only this time she's getting paid to take care of her own child by the government that wanted her baby killed. Oh, my, you talk about a great story. It's amazing. I'm sure later on Miriam had to remind Moses several times, boy, you wouldn't even be the leader of this nation right now had it not been me that went back and got mama to come back and take care of you. You never could take care of yourself. I've been looking after you ever since you were a child. Sometimes older sisters have to let us know that. So Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. She called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take the child away, nurse it for me, and I'll give you wages. The woman took the child and nursed it, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. See, there's your adoption there. And she called his name Moses, because that's an old ancient Egyptian word that means to be drawn out, be drawn out of the water. And she said, because I drew him out of the water. How many mothers in America wouldn't have loved to have been paid to raise their own kids? Yeah. Wow. But it's a beautiful story of trust in God that sometimes when we put our faith in the Lord, the trials are different than anything we could ever imagine, but the end result is beautiful. Now, God did not spare Moses' mother all the anxiety for 90 days of hiding that child and going down there to that river. He did not spare her the anxiety of wondering what in the world is going to happen to us or what's going to happen to this baby. That emotional roller coaster continued. However, God already knew when this whole process started, he saw the end and he fixed the end from the beginning. There's never been a time in your life or my life where we've looked at the trials we're passing through or the pathways that we're on and we're saying, I just don't understand why I've got to go through this and why the Lord is permitting us to pass through this. And it seems like you take one step forward, now we're taking five steps back. Or you take five steps forward, there's two steps back. How come it just can't ever be this? Folks, I'm telling you, God already sees the path. He just simply needs us to trust him. Just believe. Just walk with God. And just be willing to give to God everything he asks for. Let him settle the end. Let him settle the end. And you'll sleep better at night, hopefully. I don't know how well Moses' mom and daddy were sleeping every night with that little boy and they're crying sometimes. But you'll sleep better at night in the end knowing that it's the Lord supplying your wages and blessings. Scripture says God will supply all your need according to your riches and glory. So as you think that God is not supplying, be careful. 
because God, he's got more blessings out there for you if you just trust him. Don't ever count on numbers. Don't ever count on people, but always count on God. Count on God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that as we look into the word tonight, there is so much truth connected to these stories of faith. One thing we do know, you are bigger than any tradition. God, we are grateful that you can switch your hands anytime that you want and, and, and present the blessing to whomever that you want. We do pray, God, that you present different blessings to us. We know from Ephesians 1 that we're blessed with all spiritual blessings because we're in your son. But Father, we thank you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the blessing of the Lord that make it rich, but that is no sorrow we thank you, Father God, that you have spoken a blessing over each one of our lives and that we should arise to the destiny to which you've called us in the year 2017. So God, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen.